Well, I don't know where each of you might be uh, spiritually, as challenged by that video. But I, I know that you're here today, and I'm glad that you're here today so you can hear the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ because your life can be profoundly changed by embracing the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As we gather today in worship on this Easter Sunday, we gather with millions of other believers around the world to celebrate what I think is the single and most significant event in all of history, and that is that Jesus Christ is alive. That Jesus Christ was crucified, dead, and buried, but on the third day arose from the grave victorious over sin, death, and the grave. And that resurrection is at the very core of our belief and our relationship with Christ. And it's the core of how we can be changed into new creations, have our relationship with God restored, have our sin forgiven, and find power and strength for living the life that God wants us to live in this world. You see, this is the most fantastic claim that we as believers can dare to make, and that is that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. But as we come and we worship together on this Easter morning, this Resurrection Sunday, uh, there are a lot of you out here today that I'm sure are, are guests with us today, maybe not frequent attenders. And maybe there are even some of you who are not yet believers in Christ, that you haven't crossed over that line of faith to claim Him as Savior. Or maybe you are members of a church somewhere, maybe even here, but you're very careless and indifferent and apathetic about your spiritual life and your attendance in the life of this church and Bible study and fellowship time together with other believers. So that sets the foundation for our looking at the resurrection story today about the relevance of the resurrection because I think there are two basic challenges before us today about understanding the relevance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The first is that there are some of you who are here today and plenty of other people around the world, even out in our own community right here, who do not know Christ as Savior. Somehow they just have not embraced Him as Savior. They cannot believe that he died on the cross for their sins and that God brought him back from the dead. And so you have not yet placed your faith in him. It's just impossible for you to believe that someone so brutally treated and beaten and then absolutely murdered on a cross could come back from the dead. And yet that's what we celebrate today. You have to have that faith to believe and just simply step out on faith and cross over that line of faith so that you can know and embrace and claim Jesus as Savior. Know that he died on the cross for your sins and that God brought him back from the dead on the third day. And it's the power of the resurrection that proves that he is the Savior and you can trust him for the forgiveness of your sins and trust him to lead your life. Then the second group I need to address are those of us who are believers in Christ, uh, members of the church, members of this church perhaps, but those who have grown maybe somewhat apathetic about their spiritual life. Those who have grown uh, indifferent about attending regularly and being a part of the fellowship and worshiping God and serving God and seeing about the spiritual growth of our family and their well-being in Christ. You see, when I think about Easter Sunday, and I think I've seen it lived out here already today, uh, we do some amazing things for Easter. How many of you bought something new for Easter? Any of you buy anything new for Easter? If you, come on now. Put your hands up. All right. How many of you bought something new for Easter? Yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I bought, a new, I bought two new ties. Couldn't wear both of them this morning, so I chose one of them to wear because I couldn't get the other one to tie right. But, you know, I thought, it, you know, it's a symbol of something new. I just got a new tie. 
And that's pretty simple to, to do that. Uh, it's interesting about the different colors we see. You know, we've got Easter colors on, and I love these bright spring colors. They're so beautiful. They're so pretty. But it's something else that we do for Easter that's interesting. It's, bought, it's a, kind of packaged up in that uh, issue about buying something new for Easter. Uh, the National Retail Federation did a survey uh, of spending, and they estimated that in preparation for this day, this hour, that we would have spent here in the United States $16.8 billion to prepare for Easter on clothes, food, candy, and travel. Did I mention candy? I made a terrible mistake Wednesday night. I've been on a good diet. Since uh, we came back from uh, taking Sarah Lynn to Fort Worth, I said, oh, during Thanksgiving and Christmas, and I ate too much. I put on some weight. i got to get it off. And so I went on a nice diet, and so far I've lost about 20 pounds, just cutting back and, and restraining from sweets and that. As I was leaving Target, I saw these Easter-colored M&M's, peanut chocolate-covered. And I said, you know... We're anticipating all the children except Sarah Lynn, who's still in, in uh, Texas, being here for Easter and all the grandchildren. I'll just buy three bags of them, and, and we'll have them. <laughs> Cleo wasn't in town. She was at Rock Hill helping Jay and Laura Beth with their move to, to North Rock Hill Church and getting them settled in the house and all that. And before that night was over, I had eaten one of those bags of M&M. Oh, milk chocolate. Candy-covered peanuts. Oh, they were good. They were good. And that reminded me of a story that I read about, about a family celebrating Easter. That everybody, all the children and their, their spouses and all their children, grandchildren, all, everybody was going to gather at the parents' home and go to church together, then come home and celebrate Easter together as a family and have a great big meal. So they all went to church in their Easter finery. Then they got home and the, and the news was that the women were going to take care of the meal and it'd be a little bit delayed because some things had to finish cooking, getting everything ready. So the guys were in charge of the children and that was mistake number one. So the guys were in charge of the children, and they decided they'd have the Easter egg hunt and get that out of the way. So they had the Easter egg hunt, and then they let the children eat a lot of the chocolate bunny rabbits and all those things, you know, that, uh, that they had had. And then they were called in to eat. Well, none of the children wanted to eat anything. So one of the guys thought he'd better redeem himself in the eyes of his mother-in-law. So he was provoking the children and saying, come on, you've got to eat some meat and some vegetables and counterbalance all that sugar that's in your system. You know, sugar that he had let them eat, you know. He didn't get any help even from his mother-in-law because she said, are you kidding me? What do you expect? It's Easter. You want a miracle or something? Well, it's Easter. Are you expecting a miracle? Would you accept a miracle today in your life? You know, that's what we celebrate, isn't it? We celebrate the greatest miracle of all times, and that is that Jesus Christ was crucified, dead and buried for our sins, but on the third day brought back to life by the power of God. Maybe it's become so familiar with us that we miss the miracle of Easter and we miss what God can do in our life. But you have to understand the resurrection because it resonates all the way through our life and who we are. In fact, there's something you need to pick up on uh, in the early accounts about the growth of the Christian faith. 
and particularly the preaching that Luke describes in the book of Acts of Peter and John. Because it says that they constantly were preaching Jesus Christ and the resurrection. Why did they emphasize that, the resurrection? You see, it's because it's the miracle of Easter that validates everything about Jesus Christ and about what God wants to do and can do in your life and mine. So as we're challenged by the video, where are you today? You know, maybe there's some issues in your life from pornography to apathy that you haven't dealt with. You know, maybe, maybe there's all kinds of issues that you need God in your life to help you deal with. Maybe you haven't been in church in a long, long time, but you're here today. And you're going to say, well, it's the same old story. It's the resurrection. Well, you only hear on Easter. But the power of the resurrection is something we don't need to miss because it's the resurrection that is at the very core of the good news of our Christian faith. Now, I want you to open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. And in verses 1 through 10, let's hear the good news of Easter morning, that first resurrection Sunday, and the discovery that Jesus was alive, and the good news for that day. After the Sabbath at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. It's interesting that in all four accounts of the Gospels, and I read all the way through this yesterday in all four Gospels about the crucifixion and the resurrection, Mary Magdalene is the one character who is there in every account of the Gospel story of the resurrection. Okay? So Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone, and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. Now here are words, seven words that shook the world. He is not here he has risen. And then is added, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, grasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. He is not here. He is risen. There's the reality of the resurrection. Now, this morning I want us to think about the relevance of the resurrection in our life. And I want to make three suggestions to you as how you can make the, the, the resurrection so relevant uh, for your life. The first one is this. The, the resurrection guarantees to us that Jesus is who he said he was. You know, Jesus made some bold statements throughout his earthly ministry about who he was. He made some bold statements about his relationship with God. And today there are still people who, who you probably have heard say, well, I don't believe Jesus is the Messiah, but I believe he was a great moral teacher like Buddha or Confucius or Mohammed. Let me tell you something. You really can't put Jesus in the same category as those people because they just simply claim to be good moral teachers. Mohammed claimed to be a prophet of God, but he never claimed that he was more than a man. 
But Jesus made claims about himself in which he equated himself with God. That he was from time beginning, that he was one with the Father, that he was God in the flesh. And he said that the whole world belonged to him and that one day the power would be given to him and he would rule over the entire world. Now those are some bold claims to make. I suppose I was to stand right here before you this morning and say, look, I want you to know something. I'm God in the flesh, and one of these days this entire world is going to be turned over to me, and I'm going to rule it completely. Now, what would you think about me? I think you would be right to say that I'm crazy. Either that or I've overdosed already on Easter candy, right? Jesus made those kinds of claims, and there were those who said, he's crazy. His family was embarrassed. Now, you really cannot equate Jesus with the other leaders and founders of religious faith because Jesus was different in his claims. He didn't claim just to be a good moral teacher. He claimed to be God in the flesh. He said, the Father and I are one. And then Jesus did something else. He not only made those claims, but he made them good By coming back from the dead on Resurrection Sunday. By the power of God and his life, he came back to to life. And then you see, we have to claim that, the relevance of that, and understand that because it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that validates everything he said that he was. Everything he claimed is validated by the resurrection. And therefore, we have to take very seriously the things that Jesus said, like, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So that means that we have to abandon all kinds of thoughts and philosophies that say, it doesn't matter what you believe, just as long as you're sincere about it, all religions lead to the same place. My friends, that is not true. Jesus is the only way to a relationship with God for all eternity. Because Jesus said, I am the gate, and whoever enters through me will be saved. It is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that the words that he spoke about who he was and what he would do carry more weight. I mean, they are authenticated by his resurrection. See, is Jesus really the Son of God? Is Jesus really capable of forgiving my sins? Did Jesus really die on the cross for my sins? Did God really bring Jesus back from the dead? And the answer to all of that is yes. Now, that's what separates our our system of belief called Christianity from all the other world religions. See, Buddhists teach that Buddha died at the age of 80 and was cremated in India. But many Buddhists still make uh, pilgrimages to uh, worship at the Temple of the Tooth in Sri Lanka, which is said to contain the right front tooth of Buddha. Abraham is considered to be the father of Judaism, and you can visit his tomb in the Holy Land. Mohammed died June 8, 632 A.D. at the age of 63, and millions of Muslims visit his tomb in Saudi Arabia every year. But he never claimed to be God. You see, Jesus Christ stands alone as the only founder of a faith, of a world system of belief, in which he claimed to be equal with God. And you have to come to make a decision about that. You see, that's the issue that keeps so many people, some people, from making that decision. You see, I just can't believe that Jesus could be God in the flesh and he could die for my sins and that would take care of everything in the eyes of God. 
You go back and you trace what C.S. Lewis, that great uh, English writer of the Christian faith, said, that there are three ways that you have to picture Jesus and decide which one he is. Either he's a lunatic, he's crazy, doesn't know what he's saying, or he's a liar, that absolutely everything he's saying is false. He's a sham, he's a charlatan, or you have to decide that he's Lord. There's your choice. He's either lunatic, liar, or Lord. And you have to decide which one he is. If you've never made that decision, it's time that you come face to face with the reality of that and the resurrection. Because it's time that you come to make that decision that Jesus Christ not, is not a lunatic. He is not a liar. But everything was validated by his resurrection. See, all through history, he has been, he has been subject to, to uh, ridicule and criticism. But I find it so interesting. In fact, I find it humorous that he has outlived all of his critics. Some of you might remember the theology that began to surface back in the 60s, that the, God, the theology that said God is dead. And that was uh, the proponent of that was William Hamilton. In fact, he made the cover of Time magazine with his theology that said God is dead. Well, I find it interesting that on February the 28th of this year, at the age of 87, William Hamilton died. And there again, Jesus has outlived another one of his critics. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so important in our faith because it validates everything Jesus claimed to be. And it affirmed everything that he did. And that leads us to the second way that we apply the resurrection, uh, understanding the relevance of it. And it's this. We can experience forgiveness for our sins. You see, we were challenged in part of the video that talked about some of the sins, you know, pornography, adultery, uh, whether you're tied to some kind of sin, whether you're ashamed of, of what you've done and your shame is just so much that sometimes you don't even think you can have a relationship with God. You can never be made clean. You walk through life like you've got a ball and chain shackled to your ankle. Let me tell you something today. The resurrection says to you, there is good news. You can experience the forgiveness of your sins. And all of us need that. The Bible tells us very clearly that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It goes on to say to us that the wages of sin or the result of sin is death. And that's speaking about spiritual death. That means we're separated from God. So you can be lost in your sin, function well in every area of life except the spiritual area because God says you are spiritually dead. The only problem a lot of people have about that is they're spiritually dead and they don't know it. Let me ask you, if you've kept up with the news, have you heard the story picked up on ABC News Radio from, uh, back in February that happened right close to here? You know where prosperity is? How many of you know where prosperity is? Right up in State 26, right there near Mid-Carolina uh, Mid Golf Course, nice golf course. There used to be a little restaurant there in Prosperity Call, Back Porch or something like that. Great place to eat. Uh, you can tell why I fight the Battle of the Bulge all the time. I like good eating places. But in prosperity, a guy by the name of Arthur Livingston went to apply for a loan for a new house only to discover that his bank had declared him dead three years ago. When they began to do the credit check on him for his loan, they discovered he had been declared dead three years 
early. And I won't tell you what bank he banks with, but he still banked with them on a weekly basis. He got a statement from them. He made deposits. He wrote checks and all of that. And somehow they made a mistake and said he was dead. We had one of our members, Bob Clune, to leave and say, he said, I was pronounced dead by the Marine Corps at one time. Because he said, my, my retirement check was late. And I called and say why? And they said, because you're dead. He said, I'm talking to you. <laughs> They come to find out there was one number difference between himself and a buddy whose name was very similar to his on the identification uh, number. And he had to get two verifications notarized that he was alive before they would reinstate him and say, well, yeah, gee, you are alive. So this Arthur Livingston guy was pronounced dead for three years by his bank. He just didn't know it. Are you dead in your sins, but you didn't know it until today? Then let's go a little bit deeper into that. What does the resurrection have to do with the forgiveness of your sins? You see, we, we know that in his earthly ministry, Jesus went around in his ministry and he forgave people of their sins. So what does the resurrection do? The resurrection validates the fact that he absolutely had the power to forgive sins because he also had the power to come back from the dead. And it's that resurrection power then that allows us to know that we can be forgiven and we can experience the forgiveness of our sins. You see, it all goes back to the cross and you have to understand that on the cross, Jesus died in your place for your sins, literally becoming sin, so that God could forgive you and you could have a relationship with him because when you believe in Jesus Christ, you are declared righteous in the sight of God. And then he validated that by his resurrection. When Jesus died on the cross, God put all of the sin of all people of all time on him. Now, where does the resurrection come into the salvation experience? Listen to what what Paul says. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans. He says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, the resurrection is central to believing in Jesus as Savior and experiencing salvation. So if you haven't crossed over that line of faith, then you need to do that. Because Jesus died for your sins. And then God brought him back so that he would prove to you that he had the power to forgive your sins. And you have to believe in that resurrection. Now let's talk to another group of people here today. Those of us who are believers, who who have claimed that relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. None of us are perfect, right? We still fail Jesus. We still sin, don't we? There's that battle in our life between the sin nature and the nature of God. And oftentimes the sin nature wins out and we do what we don't want to do. You know, Paul struggled with that, and he wrote about that. He said, the very thing I want to do, I don't do. The very thing I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. That's the autobiography of every one of us, isn't it? And so we still sin, and we need the forgiveness of sin. And we have a living Savior. That's where the power of the resurrection comes in, when we need it on a daily and weekly, monthly basis to still be forgiven of our sin. We have a living Savior. First John tells us that we have an advocate in Jesus Christ when we sin. And First John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now listen to me carefully. If you've got unconfessed sin in your life, if there's something that you brought in here with you today that you're ashamed of, and you just think, 
there's no way God could forgive me for this. Let me tell you, you can leave here today not only with a clean conscience, but with a clean heart. Because God can forgive you of anything. There might be consequences that you still have to deal with somewhere else because of your sin. There might be other people who won't forgive you. But you can get back into a relationship with God today because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because you have a living Savior who, if you go to Him and confess your sin, you can claim His forgiveness based on His righteousness. That's good news, isn't it? That's good news that every one of us need to know. See, that's why Easter is so important. That's why the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so important. It's because God is still at work in our life, wanting to forgive us of our sin and to restore us so that we can be the people that He wants us to be. And so that we can live for His glory the way that He intends for us to live. Now, there's a third way that we relate the relevance of the resurrection to our life, and it's this, that the resurrection of Jesus assures us that no situation in life is beyond the power of God. What did it look like on Friday? Boy, it looked like that Pilate and the, and the leading citizens of, of Jerusalem had had their way with Jesus and that they had won the victory because Jesus died on that cross. And then he was wrapped in about a hundred pounds of ointments and Muslim cloth. And he was placed in, the Bible says, a borrowed tomb that was owned by Joseph of Arimathea. And he was dead. And the tomb was sealed. But I think it was at that point that God got over his anguish of seeing Jesus become sin on the cross. And maybe he even had a chuckle because he said, I've got you right where I want you now. You think that Satan is one. You think that evil is one. You just wait and see. Because God knew what was going to happen before the third day when Jesus emerged from the tomb. That he was going to restore the blood pumping through the body of Jesus Christ. He was going to have air back in the lungs of Jesus Christ. He was going to restore Jesus back to his physical body with all body parts functioning. And that Jesus was able then to walk out of that tomb, the risen Savior, and that he was alive and he had conquered death and sin and the grave by the power of God. And it's that same power of God that is available to you and to me today. To help us face the two biggest issues that we will face in life. One of them is death. And the other is the harsh realities of day-to-day living. Never knowing what's going to come up on our, on our computer screen in the next day or so. Let's talk first about the death. The reality of it. The reality is that these bodies are not made to live forever. You know, we, we live a long time in them here. But they're subject to disease and decay. And most of us are a little bit hesitant to talk about death. We're the only, we're, we're people, we're humans, and we're the only living things in this world that know we're going to die, and yet we're afraid to make plans about it. And we don't like to talk about it. Instead of saying death and dying, we talk about we pass over, or they passed over, or they passed on, or we talk about the deceased. We don't even like to use the word death and dead. But the reality is, unless the Lord Jesus Christ comes quicker than maybe we think He is, we're all going to face that. But when we face it with Jesus Christ as our Savior through the resurrection, we don't have to be afraid of death any longer. See, many people fear death because they don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
But Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me will live even though he dies. And the Bible gives us this affirmation about the, re- the resurrection and the victory over death by saying, Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Say that the sting of death has been taken out because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, we've gone through in the last six, seven, eight weeks uh, a good many deaths in the life of this church, members and, and extended family. Uh, I've had to do the funerals for, for some guys who were some of the closest friends I've ever had in my life, including a staff member, our associate pastor, Dr. John Platt. One of the best friends I've ever had, a great mentor, great friend. Uh, yesterday afternoon, sitting at my desk, I, I went to, at home, I, I just went to, to file a, a note that somebody had sent me, and I kind of put it in my encouragement file. And I thought, it, I, well, let me see what else is in here. And I just started pulling out card after card after card that John Pratt had written me through the years. You know, I, I've never had anybody in my life like that before. Probably never will again. I hope we don't experience the death of another staff member in the life of this church, but it's tough, isn't it? Some of you have, have had to experience the death of your father and your mother, your husband, a good friend. And you know what got me through all of these times? It was the hope of the resurrection because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ who said, I am the resurrection and the life, and who said, because I live, you too shall live. Now, you see... We, we, we might fear some of the things we have to go through to experience death, but we shouldn't fear death. Because death transports us as believers into the very presence of God in heaven for all eternity. To be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord forever and ever. And so we don't have to fear death anymore because of the resurrection. Then the other thing is that we have, to, we have to deal with other issues in life from time to time that aren't easy and that aren't pleasant. We have family crisis. We have health crisis. We have financial crisis. We have all kinds of things that come along. That's where the power of God comes into our life, which is available to help us overcome any circumstance and any situations in life. You see, if God can bring his son, who was so brutally murdered, back from the dead... He can help you overcome anything in your life. You see, some of you are sitting here today, and you've had hopes and dreams and visions and relationships and all kinds of things that have died. Let me tell you something. God can resurrect those in your life if you'll trust Him. So you might have gotten bad news over the weekend or in the last few weeks or the last month about your health or about the family member's health, about issues in life of which you have no control. And you're saying, how am I going to handle this? How am I going to cope with this? Let me tell you how. It's by the power of the resurrected Jesus Christ. The only problem that most of us have is, is that we don't have faith in a God who can do that. We don't really, we, we think somewhere intellectually, yeah, God brought Jesus back from the dead, but we don't claim that power in our own life. In fact, a few years ago, there was a book written based on the results of some door-to-door surveys where people went and asked people about what kind of belief they had in God. And, and the basic question was this. Do you believe in a God who intervenes in human history, who changes the course of affairs, who performs miracles? And one guy said, no, I don't believe in that God. I believe in the ordinary God. Let me tell you something on this Easter Sunday. It's no ordinary God who can bring his son back 
from the dead. And can promise to every one of us, based on his son's resurrection, that we too will be resurrected to eternal life. And you see, it's that power in our life that enables us then to live day by day experiencing what life brings to us. It's through the power of God that can overcome any obstacle. Why the Apostle Paul would say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And why he would write and say, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory. You see, let me ask you something on this Resurrection Sunday. Are you taking that power that brought Jesus back from the dead, and are you applying it into your life and living with that power? Or are you living in a relationship with some ordinary God that does ordinary things? See, if you're in a relationship with God who brought Jesus back from the dead, you're in a relationship with the living God and whose power can do anything, can change circumstances. And if it's His will that He doesn't change the circumstances, He has the power to see you through it. You see, one of the obstacles a lot of people have about coming to faith in Christ is, what good does it do me if God doesn't spare me from the harsh realities of life? What good it does you is that God gives you the power to see you through those difficult times. And you emerge victorious because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. No situation is beyond the power of God. That's the relevance of the resurrection that maybe you need to claim today. So here we are once again on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, celebrating once again the fact that Jesus Christ arose from the dead. What will you take away from here? What will you take with you that will make your life different than it was when you came in today? Are you still going to trust in, a, in an ordinary God? Or are you going to trust in the God who brought Jesus Christ back from the dead? We introduced, and hopefully you saw on the flyer in your bulletin, uh, a brand new six-week sermon series beginning next week based all on 1 Corinthians 15, that great resurrection chapter. Because we're going to go through it for six weeks and see exactly what the resurrection means for your life and mine on a daily basis. And you see, that's what we celebrate and should claim today, is what the resurrection means for us today, day by day, week by week, month by month. The resurrection power that God had to bring Jesus Christ back from the dead. So will you take away from here a faith in this God who has the power to bring his son back from the dead? I hope so. Let me give you one last closing thought. When you think about Easter and what else is out there that you can claim, the world offers promises full of emptiness. But Easter offers emptiness full of promise. The emptiness of the empty cross, the empty grave, and the empty grave clothes. They're all full of promises of life. Sins forgiven, resurrection life, eternity in heaven. What will you choose?